Father, we come before you now to that part of the evening where we seek to worship you through the reading and proclamation of your word. Father, as we aspire tonight to, to peer into the glorious mysteries that is the fullness of who you are, give us eyes to see, give us a mind to understand, give us a heart to feel. We are looking at who you are this evening, your attributes. Father, help us love you more for who you are, not simply for what you've done for us. Help us see these attributes of yours that are unique to you. Help us see them and see how glorious they truly are and what comfort they are for those of us who are hidden with Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're continuing our evening series on a firm foundation. And we've been looking at the doctrine of God, which is a very heavy and weighty doctrine, one that has many parts. And so we're continuing looking at the attributes of God, specifically what we call his incommunicable attributes, which simply means those attributes of God that are unique to him that we don't share. And so this week, we are going to look at what is commonly known as the three omnis of God, his omniscience, well, his omnipotence, his omnipresence, and his omniscience. And these are both beautiful and troubling attributes, depending on what side of the cross you fall. Um, and they're important ones to understand because so often we have a small view of God. And whether we like it or not, we see God as the strongest man in the room, but we see him as a man. And so he's strong, he's powerful, he's smart, but is he all-powerful? Is he all-knowing? And is he everywhere? We, send, we tend to, to question that when life gets hard. And so these three attributes should hopefully put some foundation, some, some, some strength behind you in troubling times. And so the first attribute I want us to look at of God is his omnipotence. It's a big word composed of two Latin words. The first word is omni. It just means all. And the second word potens, which just means power. So when we say God is omnipotent, what we're saying is that God is all powerful, that he has unlimited power, which again, our minds can't really comprehend because we think of power within limitations. You know, there's, you know, strongest man competitions, but even the strongest of those individuals get to a certain point where they physically simply can't go any further. The human body breaks down, but this isn't true for God. God is a spirit, which we'll look at later on. God has no limitations because he's infinite and eternal. And so when it comes to God's power, it is unlimited in every aspect. And because God is infinite and eternal, remember how we said God is simple, all his attributes work together, his power by definition would have to be unlimited because God has no limitations. And so if you've taken a philosophy course, you've probably heard that question, can, or you've heard some, you know, some, some philosophy freshmen wanting to throw off a pastor 
Well, can God create a rock so big that he couldn't move it? You know, these kinds of silly questions. So let's, uh, let's just address when we say God is unlimited, has unlimited power, there is actually a limitation to it. Because God's power is limited by his nature, meaning God cannot ever, well, God cannot ever use his power for something that is evil. He would cease to be God if he did that. So God's power is unlimited within his holy nature, within his character of who he is. So God would never exercise in his power in a way that would be contrary to who he is. And that's really important to know because troubling things will happen in the world. God is in control of it. And we have to ask ourselves, is this God exercising his power for evil? Why did he not exercise his power for good? Right. There's this whole age old question. If God is all powerful and God is all good, then why does God allow bad things to happen? I'm not going to answer that question tonight because that's going to fall into the next week when we look at God's sovereignty. But I'll tease it simply by saying every act and demonstration of God's power is in perfect alignment with his holy character and his holy nature. God can only do that, which is his, of his holy will. So now we have the terms defined. So we're going to look at lots of passages. Don't worry if you can't write them all down. But the first thing I want us to look at passage when we talk about God's power is just to answer the question, is there truly anything too hard for God? Is anything too hard for him? We know the answer is no. And yet, you ever hear, you ever think of somebody who is in rebellion to God, an unbeliever, and we say, man, it has to be a miracle for God to save that one. We're somehow thinking that his power can't. We look at situations and we're like, I don't know how anything could ever come out of that. God's completely powerful. So the question is anything too hard for God is very important to try to address. And so let's first turn to the uh, Jeremiah chapter 32. Jeremiah chapter 32, we're going to look at two verses. The first is verse 17. He says here, Ah, Lord Yahweh, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. Nothing is too difficult. Think of mountains. Can any mere man move a mountain? No. Can... A man scoop up the entire ocean in his hands? No. But God is so powerful, all-powerful, that it says here, the one who made the heavens, the one who made the earth, nothing is too difficult. If we get in moments in life where we are questioning God's ability to do a thing, my encouragement is to go open a door, walk outside, and simply look around. He made it all. He made trees. He made dirt, he made clouds, he made the sun. We can't even look directly at the sun without being blind. And yet God made it in the light of the sun pales in comparison to the glory of God that shines. 
So Jeremiah tells us here in verse 17 that the one who made it all, nothing's too difficult. Then in verse 27, he says, Behold, I am Yahweh, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? So only a couple verses later, Jeremiah says, not only did he make the created world, he made all people. He made all people. And this is the great hope of salvation because the most corrupt individual is still made by God and therefore can be changed by God if he chooses to exercise his saving power. But scripture goes on. Psalm 115. Psalm 115, verse 3. Speaking of God, he does whatever, but our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. So there's two attributes actually listed here, the sovereignty and the omnipotence of God. Why is God able to do whatever he pleases? Because he has the power to do so. This is why we have to be very careful. I remember being at a funeral once. One of my cousins had a friend die in a very tragic gang-related incident. And I was sitting there, went for support. It was his best friend. And and the pastor was up there in front of everybody. And I'm going to assume the pastor had good intentions. And he said, God didn't want this to happen. God didn't want this young man to die. It happened outside of his will, outside of his power. This just happens. Sometimes bad things happen. Pastor said that God was not powerful enough to stop the death of this young man. But we see here, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. It was within God's will for that young man to die. Now, that is a difficult thing to say. We don't know all the purposes behind it. But the God who cannot stop, who is not powerful enough to stop a stray bullet is a God that I would be hesitant to entrust my soul to. But because God is in the heavens and he can do whatever he pleases and does do whatever he pleases because of the power he has, he is a God that can be trusted. Nothing is too hard for God. Everything that comes to pass is according to his Sovereign will. It's ultimately pleasing to him in in an eternal, redemptive sense. A couple Psalms later, Psalm 135, verses 5 and 6. For I know that Yahweh is great, and that our Lord is greater than all all the gods. Whatever Yahweh pleases, he does in heaven and on earth and in the seas and in all the deeps. The one who causes the clouds to ascend from the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain, who brings forth the wind from storehouses. I want you to think about this. This is the God who it says, no one of these other supposed false gods can rival him. God has no rivals when it comes to his power. Now, this may not mean a whole lot to us, but imagine you are an, a Christian The year is 65 AD. Nero is reigning. 
Christians are being covered in oil and wax and lit on fire. Nero says he is a God. What is your hope at that moment? If you don't have a God who's all powerful, then what is your hope there? But because God is all powerful, we know they would know Nero is no God. There is only one God and he has no rivals. It would mean if we're looking through the book of Colossians, that as these false gods were, were in the community there and you're walking around, you could have confidence. No, those aren't true gods. He has no rivals. Those gods cannot make lightning come down from the skies. And so the power of God, the omnipotence of God reminds us, as you look around, nobody is rivaling God. They may be provoking him, but they're not rivaling him. Corrupt governments, murderous tyrants, arrogant pundits and, and social media influencers, they're not rivaling anything at all. It's, a spit in the, it's like spitting into the ocean. It's nothing compared to him. He has all power. And in his power, he may be allowing certain things to take place. But as it says here, our, our, God, our Lord is greater than all the gods. And again, if God is all powerful, this comes back to that theme from this morning. Why would you fear anyone or anything else? There is nothing to fear in this world in light of the omnipotence of God. You don't need to fear people. You don't need to fear philosophies. You don't need to fear pandemics. You don't need to fear anyone or anything because we have a God who has all power and might. And that also means that none of God's plans can be thwarted. Listen to Isaiah chapter 14, verse 24. Yahweh of hosts has sworn saying, surely just as I have intended, so it has happened. And just as I have counseled, so it will stand. A couple of verses later, verse 27, he says, for Yahweh of hosts has counseled and who can thwart it? And as for his stretched out hand, who can turn it back? Do you realize if God was not omnipotent, if God did not have all power, the promise of the gospel could be put into question. When God said in Genesis chapter three, verse 15, that the son of Eve would crush the head of the serpent, but the serpent would bruise his heel. We could not say that's a promise. We could say, well, I hope that happens. But if God is not all powerful, that means some force, some plan, something could rival and throw that plan off. The gospel would not be a certainty if God was not all powerful. But because he is all powerful, he can guarantee that his plans will not be disrupted and thwarted. And it's because God is all powerful that we have the gospel. You know, the most powerful, you know, it's the one thing we can't stop in this world. We don't have the power. Man, man has, in his, in his intelligence and in his creativity, has, has developed lots of powerful things. You know the one thing no human being with all the power and might they have can stop? Death. 
Death is the great equalizer. None of us are powerful enough to stop it. And yet, because God is omnipotent, because God is all-powerful in and through his son, in his power, he has defeated sin and death. God's omnipotent power has put death to death. He's broken the back of sin. Name me anyone else that can do that. This is why believers during the times of plagues would go running in to help those in need because they knew the great enemy of, oh, death, where is your sting? Paul says it was gone. It's been broken, defeated. The power of God is greater than the power of death. And so the omnipotence of God is seen clearly in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means the gospel can't fail. It means none of God's promises can fail, actually. None of his words can fail. Listen to what Joshua says in Joshua chapter 23, verse 14. Now behold, today I'm going the way of all the earth. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one word of all the good words which Yahweh your God spoke concerning you has failed. Their leader is going to die. But God hasn't failed. He has the power to fulfill all he said he would do. And so let me give a word of encouragement, hopefully, to everyone here. What's the hardest thing you're going through right now? We're all going through hard situations at times. Or we're going to go through hard situations. No matter how hard, how oppressive, how strong and powerful that situation seems, it is not more powerful than God. God's power is greater than the power of the worst circumstance in your life. And so then we trust him. We trust him. And as we'll see, all the attributes work together. One of those is the goodness of God. And because God is good, we can trust him. Because a God who was not good should not be trusted with all that power. But he is good. He uses his power toward us. In Philippians 1.6, he says, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. God's power is greater than our stubbornness, and he will bring about the glory, sanctification and glorification of his people. Now, I want to draw our attention to Psalm 115 again. Psalm 115, verses 3 through 11. But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. They have noses, but they do not smell. As for their hands, they do not feel. As for their feet, they do not walk. They do not make a sound with their throat. Those who make them will become like them, everyone who trusts in them. O Israel, trust in Yahweh. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in Yahweh. He is their help and their shield. You who fear Yahweh, trust in Yahweh. He is their help and their shield. 
It's nothing new for people to trust in all sorts of things other than God. It's nothing new for people in the church to trust in all sorts of things more than they trust in God. But God is our help. God is our shield. God is the all-powerful one. His power is the only power that can ultimately conquer and defeat the obstacles, barriers, trials, and tribulations in our lives. Think about the way the world promises to flex their power to fix problems. And guess what? They don't. I'm not trying to be political about it, but a lot of people have put a lot of help in certain medicines recently. They touted them as the silver bullet to defeat defeat the virus. And guess what? Its power was limited. It's limited. Not saying it's ineffective. I'm not trying to make a comment. Just saying it can't even deliver fully on that. And yet, sometimes people will trust more in that than trust in the Lord. You'll think a self-help book is more powerful than the word of God himself. And so we have to understand God is the source of all power. His power is unlimited. Why would we seek a power from anything or anyone else? It's foolishness. So this psalm, this, this verse I do want you to write down. Here is a verse of comfort. This is a verse worth memorizing. It's Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. He is your refuge. He is your strength, a very present help in trouble. You will find yourself in troubling waters. The only true power that can help you and remove you and pull you out of that will be God himself in his, in his omnipotence. There's so much more that can be said on this attribute, but again, we're not trying we would, be here, we would be here for years simply preaching on each attribute. So that's, an idea, that, that's a taste of, of omnipotence. Second attribute is God's omnipresence. God's omnipresence. Again, omni means all. The second part of that word means present. It means that he is, God is everywhere at once. It's not saying there's a part of God in China. There's a part of God in the U.S. There's even an even smaller part of God here in Lakemore, right? That's not what we're saying. All that is God is everywhere at the same time. And this is why we say God is a spirit and does not have a body like men in the catechisms. Because God is a spirit, he can be everywhere at once. Which means God isn't confined. So if we were to turn to the book of 1 Kings, we would, he, we would be reading, when we get around chapter 8, you start hearing about the temple that was built, and they seek to dedicate the temple to the Lord. So in 1 Kings chapter 8, starting at verse 22, listen to what we hear about the dedication. This is Solomon's prayer. Then Solomon stood before the altar of Yahweh, before all the assembly of Israel, and spread out his hands toward heaven. And he said, O Yahweh, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or upon earth beneath, keeping covenant and loving kindness to your slaves who walk before you with all their heart. 
who have kept with your servant, my father David, that which you have promised him. Indeed, you've promised with your mouth and fulfilled it by your hand as it is this day. So now, O Yahweh, the God of Israel, keep with your servant David, my father, that which you promised him, saying, you shall not have a man cut off from me who is to sit on the throne of Israel. If only your sons keep their way to walk as you have walked before me. So now, O God of Israel, let your word truly endure, which you have spoken to your servant David. And here it is. But will God truly dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and even the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house, which I have built. So he praises, he thanks God, he appeals to the promises he's made. But then he comes to this place and he's built this beautiful temple for the Lord. But he recognizes how foolish if I think God is confined only to this space. God isn't confined. And that's an important word for us today. We need to understand that God is bigger than our buildings. We somehow think that if we don't have certain luxuries and amenities, we're not really church. God's not really there. But this is God. He is everywhere always, and he is especially present when his people gather. Whether that's in a building, whether that's in a forest, whether that's in a catacomb, it doesn't matter. God is everywhere. God, think about it. Have you ever really thought about the fact what's happening here right now? We're in a living room. God is in this room right here, right now. God is present. He's everywhere. He doesn't simply reside in certain locations. He's here right now. That should feel overwhelmingly weighty and yet comforting and yet it should be a, a variety of emotions he's everywhere which means that you and i cannot hide from god god's omnipresence means no no one can hide from him psalm 139 a beautiful psalm of god's intimate knowledge of people But listen to Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you're there. If I lift up the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will bruise me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark for you. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. Nobody can hide from God. People cannot hide from God. He's everywhere. We like to think we can hide from God. It is like a child playing hide and seek with their father and you see his feet sticking out from under the couch, but he doesn't think you see him. We jokingly say, I don't know where he is. God sees us clearly. Nothing escapes God's gaze. Nothing. Proverbs 15 verse 13, again, makes that clear.
or maybe Proverbs. I think I had the wrong verse there. Sorry. It's, um, definitely not Proverbs 15, 13. Um, nothing escapes his gaze. Now, there's an interesting reality here with this. Because have you ever heard it said that hell is the absence of God? But the reality is God is present in hell. We just read that in Psalm 139. And he made mentions that even in Sheol, you are there. Sheol was a Hebrew word, and it meant the place of the dead. It's a broad term. It's associated with hell. It refers to that place of eternal punishment. God is even present there. He created it. So what we mean when we talk about that is that the goodness of God, the grace and mercy, loving kindness of God is not present in hell. It is purely his justice and wrath. But you can't even escape God in hell. That's actually, we can make the argument, part of what makes hell hell for the unsaved is that they have to behold God. So if God is everywhere, if you can't hide from God, if his gaze is always upon you, that also brings immense comfort because that means he's always near to you. God is always near if he is always present. Now, I understand sometimes we don't feel like God is near. But that doesn't have to do with God's character as much as ours. In our sin, in our frustration, we sometimes feel estranged from God, but he is ever-present and he is near. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 7 tells us this. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as Yahweh our God whenever we call on him? You know, if there's an emergency, let's say there was an emergency at home and I was at work and my wife's like, I need you home. Depending where I'm at, it's going to take me a little bit. I can't be an ever-present help instantaneously in that moment. And yet God, because he is everywhere with his omnipresence, means he's with you and he's near always. That means he's always available to you. That means you and I can cry out to him. means he hears. That means he's able to act. The omnipresence of God, the fact that he's always everywhere, is actually one of the attributes that we don't appeal to enough. He is near. This week, all of us at some point have had a difficult moment and you've probably felt alone. But you weren't. You felt alone, but the reality is you weren't alone because God, being omnipresent, was there present near you. In Psalm 145, listen to these words of comfort. Yahweh is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will work out the desire of those who fear him. He will hear their cry for help and he will save them. He is not a God that is distant and silent. He's a God that's right right alongside you, no matter where you're at, no matter what you're going through. 
But again, do you see it's for those who call upon him? It's on us to call upon the ever-present God. Jesus says as much even in the Great Commission, right? The omnipresence of God is actually one of the promises he gives us as we seek to make disciples of all nations. Listen to the Great Commission, Matthew 8, 28, 18 through 20. Go there, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And here it is. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. God, Christ tells us, in the work that I call you to do, I am with you. And the reason he can make that promise is because he's an omnipresent God. God doesn't send you to do a project and then say, hey, you know, let's get together for our, our monthly meeting. Well, you know, let's do a performance review. Let me know how that's working out in that project I sent you on. No, he's with you as you engage in the work that he's called you to do. Lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So let me give you another promise, another verse as promise that again, I would commit to memory. This one is from Psalm 43, verses one and two. Give justice to me, O God, and plead my case against an, uh, an unholy nation. O protect me from the deceitful and the unrighteous man, for you are the God of my strength. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? The reason I tell you that one is because David recognizes that God is his strength, but David did not have an, David had an estranged heart from him. His heart is estranged. But God is his strength. He goes on there. Oh, send out your light, your truth, and let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to your dwelling places. Do you see how David feels what we feel? But your feelings don't determine the truth of who God's character is. You may feel far from God. You may feel as if God's rejected you, but he's not. He's there. He's near. We must call out to him. Lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That's just not a promise for making disciples. That's a promise for living. So the final omni is God's omniscience, his all-knowingness. Have you ever thought about the fact that God knows everything perfectly past, present, and future? He knows everything about everything, which means he knows everything about you. Some would find that a little bit uncomfortable. God knows everything about you. No matter how much you try to put your best face forward, God knows it all. I can, I can carry myself in a manner that's guarded. I can create a little moat and people can only get so close. And they would, there's things they will, there's things that even my wife will never know about me that are in my heart that I would want nobody to know. God has perfect knowledge of everything past, present, and future. 
God doesn't grow in knowledge. God doesn't sit up at night studying. God doesn't even rank on a, if God were to take an IQ test, it's not, there's not even a spectrum for him. He has perfect knowledge. It all belongs to him. And therefore he is the giver of knowledge and wisdom. In the book of Daniel, chapter two, it says here, 20 verses 20 through 22. Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever for wisdom and might belong to him. He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. He reveals the deep and the hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. This is why I am so bulldogmatic about God's word. Because the God who knows all things past, present, and future, the God that knows the hearts of every man, woman, and child since the beginning of time, the God who establishes kings and takes down kings, has spoken and said, in my infinite knowledge, infinite wisdom, infinite might, infinite power, I've given you my word. If God knows all things, that also means God can never be wrong. He can never make a bad decision. We make decisions based on the limited amount of information we have. We can do our due diligence. We can read, study, research, and we make a decision. And guess what? We can get that wrong because we don't have infinite knowledge, infinite wisdom. We don't know everything. And yet God does. And therefore, he is to be trusted. There is nothing lacking in God's knowledge. This is why I think it's so silly when people say, well, the Bible doesn't speak on that issue. Well, sure, it doesn't speak maybe to a specific thing. It doesn't say thou shalt buy a Honda. But God's word in his infinite knowledge and wisdom and his knowing of all things has given us principles on how to live. He knows it all, and therefore he is to be trusted with it all, and we do that chiefly by relying on his word. This is a common theme in the book of Job, the, vet, the, the fact that God knows all. God takes Job to task on this very thing in the later chapters of that book. And in Job 37... Verse 16, it says this. Do you know about the layers of the thick clouds? The wonders of the one perfect in knowledge? You know, it's interesting. I was talking this morning before service, and we had talked about space and the ocean. Do you realize we don't even know what, everything that's at the bottom of the ocean? And yet God spoke it into existence. There are galaxies we'll never even see. He spoke it all. He knows it all. God knows every star that exists out there. He is not lacking in any knowledge. He knows everything. His omniscience, his knowingness is unmeasurable.
which then let's personalize it. That means that the deepest depths of your heart are known to him. What's something, take a moment and think about this. What is something you never want anybody to know about you? We all have that secret. What's the one thing about you that you desperately hope never goes public? God knows it. Psalm 139, starting in verse one. Oh, Yahweh, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down. You are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, oh, Yahweh, you know it all. He knows your heart. Psalm 7, verse 9. For the, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, but establish the righteous. For the righteous God tests the hearts and the minds. You can never bury something deep enough that is beyond God's knowledge and knowing. There's a lot of other verses on that. But let me just say this. That might be a, that's either going to be a comfort or a concern for some people. The fact that God knows those dark parts of your heart that are sealed off to the world can either be a comfort or concern. For if you are not a follower of Christ, then that's concerning because that means he knows all your sin and wickedness better than you do. And that means that you can never hide it. You can never sweep it under the rug. He knows it. He sees it. He knows it better than you. And it is appointed for man to die once and then the judgment. But for those of us who are followers of Christ, it is a source of comfort for a variety of reasons. One, because he knows all of that and he still says, I love you. He loves you despite knowing the darkest parts of you that no one else knows. I have to be honest, if I knew what I know about me, I I don't know that I would love me. I feel bad for me, but I don't know that I would love me. And yet God looks upon all of that junk that's in there, buried. And it doesn't change his love for me because he sees me as being hidden in Christ. It also means that we can trust him for our every need. God knows what you need. He also knows what you want and he knows the difference. Listen to Matthew chapter six, verses 31 and 32. Do not worry then saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? For all these things that Gentiles eagerly seek for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. You don't need to worry. Does God see me? Does he know what's going on? Does he know the situation we're in? Does he know what we need? He does. And here's the thing, what you think you need sometimes isn't really what you need, but he really knows what you need because he's all-knowing. 
And I want to encourage you, this means that you should be honest with the Lord and open with him. If you're anything like me, sometimes you try to make your, your prayers sound more spiritual and pious than they really ought to be. I try sometimes, I, in my sin at times, there have been moments where there's something that I know is in my heart, but I, I, I pray out loud, typically. I'm not verbally saying what I know the reality. I, there's just a certain, I don't want to say it out loud. I don't want to have that level of transparency with the Lord at times. And God's worked in me because he already knows it. Why am I trying to not have, be honest and put that before him? Be honest with, the, with God because he knows it all already. We don't need to hide from him. One, it's, fruit, it's, it's, it's pointless to hide from the Lord because you can't. But he knows he's present. And in his son, through his son, he loves you. And so we looked at three attributes tonight. The omnipotence of God. He's all powerful. That means no plans of his can be thwarted. Every promise that he's made will be fulfilled. And we see that the power of God, his all powerfulness is central to the gospel because it is in his omnipotence that he has defeated the penalty of sin and the power of death. We've seen that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere always which means that personally he's with us here this evening and he's with you tonight and he's always near if we call upon him. He's never too far to be there in our moments of need. And then we've seen that God is omniscient. He's all knowing. And because he's all knowing, we can trust his word. We can trust him because God would not have commanded us to believe certain things, to do certain things, if they weren't truly what's best. But it also means that we can be open and honest because he knows everything about us and still calls us his sons and daughters through Christ. There's a lot that can be said about these attributes, but these are just trying to highlight the big points. But I encourage you, as you read the scriptures and as you see these attributes, write them there in the margins. They're reminders. Be acquainted with God's character. Be acquainted specifically with these parts of God that make him unique and different than us. And learn to rejoice in those things. Learn to rejoice. So with that, let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we come before you this evening and we recognize that you, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are the all-powerful God. None of us are that powerful. We may think that we have positions of power. We may think that we have financial power. We may think we have all these different types of power, but it is nothing compared to you, Lord. In your power, you can establish, you can tear down, and you do. And so, Lord, may your omnipotence keep us humble before you and trusting in you. God, you are everywhere. You are omnipresent. No one can hide from you, Lord. And that means you're a present help in troubles. Help us, Lord, to remember that you are not the distant God when we feel alone. And may we cry out to you, Lord, in your omnipresent nearness. And Lord, we've seen that you are 
the omniscient God who knows all things. So Father, I just pray that that would lead us to be honest. To be honest, to, to stop trying to fake it. Stop trying to sweep things under the rug and hide them. And just do business with you, Lord, to say you already know, God. And that we would articulate it. And then allow you and your infinite knowledge to work in our hearts. We thank you, Lord, that you are this type of God, that you are not the gods that so many men try to create. We remember, Lord, that you are not a God that could be contained. And we are thankful for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.